Hello and welcome to Shades and Layers. I'm your host, Kudwanos Kosana Ritchie, and we are on the fifth season of the podcast. In this season, we are focusing on social impact. And so you can expect all of our profile interviewees to be heading up mission-driven and women-centered businesses. Our first guest of the season is Nigerian-born, UK-raised and USA-based entrepreneur, Funlayo Alabi. She is the CEO and co-founder of Shea Radiance, a vegan all-natural body and hair care brand. Her entrepreneurial journey so far is a brilliant account of resilience, courage, paying attention to the details of your life and what I believe to be a demonstration of feminism in real life. Funlayo says the company has social impact at its heart. They work directly with women-owned cooperatives in West Africa. This ensures trade-driven economic access for these shea butter producer partners and secures the company's supply chain. She also adds that they are committed to a global community. And in this spirit, everything they do is rooted in creating positive and enduring impact for their customers, women suppliers, and our planet. To find out how all of this connects, you'll have to stick around and hear it straight from Funlayo. Let's start at the very beginning. What was right. the inspiration behind it? Um, it was a couple of things, to be quite honest. But I think that the the, the opening really came as we were raising our young kids mm-hmm. who um, struggled with eczema. And while we were dealing with their own eczema, I have traditionally had very dry skin. Mm. And so does my husband. And part of that, and we didn't realize it till later, was that all the moisturizers that we were purchasing from Target and Walmart. I don't think Ulta was around then, maybe, but even mm-hmm, when we would mm-hmm. go to the high-end stores and buy creams and lotions that claim to be super moisturizing, drench your skin, it will quench the thirst of your skin. It'll have pictures of aloe vera and, you know, open coconuts with milk pouring out. And, you know, we would buy these things, put it all over the kids and like, in two hours, they would be dry and They're scratching again. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then even on my own skin, I, I was just always really dry that it wasn't enough to buy these things. I would have to add stuff to it just mm-hmm. to give it an oomph. And what I realized over time um, was, and I think people are more aware of it today, but back then I didn't necessarily have the language to describe what was going on, is that mass-produced mainstream moisturizers do not work for black people. Mm. who want their skin to glow. That's just my summary now. Mm. But back then, um, nothing worked. And um, I, I, I started reading the ingredient list and realized that most creams, in spite of the claims of what was in the front, contained mostly mineral oil. I wasn't even offended about the water because I know that when you create a lotion, you have to use water. Yeah. But it yeah. was that it was mineral oil and no real oils and butters And rich butters are what most people need on their skin, actually, regardless of ethnicity, but Mm. more so when you're brown skin. And so I asked my mother if she could bring maybe a pound or two of raw shea butter on her visit to the States because she would come spend time with me, help me with the kids. And we used it religiously on the boys. I used it on myself. My husband used it on himself. And the transformation happened within a week. Wow. I mean, literally <laughs> use it. And I'm not one I'm, week. I'm not even. To, yes. I'm not even talking about the best quality shea butter. She mm. got it from the side of the street. Mm-hmm. It had bugs in it. You know, it's <laughs> one of those things where you, you have to warm it, filter. 
I'm saying all that to say that it was just regular, ragged shea butter. Right. And that thing worked better than any cream or lotion that I had purchased here. Mm-hmm. And basically, we used it. We saw the difference in their skin. It soothed the eczema symptoms. And what we began to realize about this gift that God had given West Africa in particular mm-hmm. was that this raw shea butter was filled with natural sterols, natural actives that boost collagen, soothe inflammation, and that the more you use it, the more resilient your skin gets and the stronger the barrier of your skin gets. And we just fell in love with this ingredient. Mm. And that was the beginning of the inspiration. Now, there were other things happening. Yes. What were you doing at the time? You had full-time jobs, I'm assuming. I wrote code for uh, um, an insurance company, Mm -hmm. but also I was going through a period of restlessness in my life. I was in my mid-40s then, and I think I was having a slight middle-age crisis. Right. I was paying attention to what was going on around me, and I would walk into places like the body shop, and I would be excited that finally someone was discovering, you know, a lot of Africa's natural resources like the cocoa butter and shea butter and things from the rainforest and yes, everything. Yes. But but I was somewhat a little, I was somewhat resentful about that too. Because mm. I was like, these are our stories to tell. You know, we have history, we have, you know, we have we just have a familiarity with these things that even though we grew up and didn't appreciate it, it, it it's part of our our yeah, heritage. Yeah, you take it for granted, right? It's just there. Yes. <laughs> it's just there. And as a matter of fact, you look down on it because, you know, typically the packaging isn't great. Maybe they'll wrap it in a leaf or <laughs> wrap it in newspaper <laughs> or put it in, you know, some kind of old jar. That's how my grandmother used mm, to keep it. Mm-hmm. And then she'd put some camphor in it to rub your chest. And I would go to all these places. I'm like, these are our stories. You know, I would, you know, I think it's great what they're doing, but these are our stories to tell. So it was a convergence of a lot of things. Back then also, I went natural with my hair, you know. And so I was becoming more conscious mm-hmm. and aware that not everything that was being sold to me that was shiny and beautiful and well packaged could deliver on what I needed for myself and my family. So that was kind of what was going on in my emotional and mental world. So right. when we started mixing these products and really uncovering the benefits, uh, we were mixing in the kitchen. I told my husband, I was like, you know, other people have problems too. Um, why don't we go to the local farmer's market and see? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so we took a table and we, you know, signed up one summer to do a local farmer's market. And I just really enjoyed telling people about shea butter. That's and nice. It was, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, a diverse audience. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah diverse audience and I I you know I just went in full Nigerian auntie mode and I was rubbing <laughs> it on their skin and you know some of the people who were not black and were not familiar with it they were like oh this is it's so greasy and I'm like that is what you need you see all those African women with the growing skin yeah it's it's the butters <laughs> <laughs> and so that was that was the beginning oh of, lovely of a dream yeah and then how did the leap well let's start with the personal leap from you know coding for an insurance company and you know deciding, okay, fine, I'm going full in into this uh, Shea Radiance. How does that transition happen? 
it it happens because I I was looking at what I was doing in terms of um you know software development, sitting in all these meetings, looking at what was ahead, mm. and I really looked at my life and I was like I don't there's nothing in the corporate world that I want to invest my time and energy into that I think will give me the outcome that I want. Mm-hmm. And at the time I started making the transition, we had started having some success at the farmer's market. We had a following. Um, in the fall, um, some small stores were beginning to stock our products. All right. And one of the stores was, was Whole Foods. And uh-huh. we were beginning to get um, some traction. And I worked in Washington, D.C., which is technically is 45 minutes from my house because I live close to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. But on a weekday, it could take me two hours. Oh, no, you know, no, 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 no. So that it's one of those soul crushing commutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. So all these were going on and, you know, we're beginning to see some some interest and success in the business. And I was, my husband and I were beginning to travel because we needed more shea butter and we had two options. We could buy the refined shea butter, which the large corporations sell through New Jersey. That is what they were typically selling to large commercial uh, cosmetic companies. Right. Or we could try and find a reliable source of high quality unrefined shea butter. And the unrefined shea butter is the one that is produced at the village level. Right. Uh, the women can hand process it or they can even use machines to extract it, but it's not stripped. So you can still see a little bit of the color and it has that naughty scent because we knew right. that that was where the power was. So we had started traveling uh, to different places um, in West Africa, including Nigeria, which is where mm-hmm. I'm from. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the city. And so we traveled to the north. Uh, where the trees grow and where the communities that harvest the nuts um, live. And we got to spend time there. And as we spent time there, kind of observing the whole process, there was just a connection that I had with the women. They, they leave their homes very early during sh- the shea season to go gather the nuts. They bring them back to the community. They process the nuts grind them down, and they extract the butter. It's a multi-step process. Sure. Yeah. And within these communities, um, everyone knows that shea butter, the processing of nuts and butter, is called women's gold. And it's called women's right. gold because all the labor and time that women use to process this, this plant-based oil, mm-hmm. um, all the money she makes from it belongs to her. Mm-hmm. So... They um, use it for what they feel they need in the family. And that could be educating a kid. That could be buying a a sewing machine. That could be doing other things that maybe she wouldn't be able to do if she was just living off the farming income she Mm -hmm. was making with Mm -hmm. her husband. And I immediately saw that connection between what I was purchasing and what was going into the woman's pocket. Mm -hmm. And knowing that if I was that woman, I would want my labor to be valued. Yes. Right? Yes. And I would want a stable partner that would always come back and buy more. And that is kind of when another shift happened. It was more than just solving the problem of my family's dry skin. It was like, you know, we could build a brand and a company 
that lifted all women. Took on a new right? meaning. Yeah. Yes. So not all these poor African women, because I hate that narrative. Yeah. You it's know, terrible. It, yeah. I hate it. I hate it. As if um, no one has agency in this world. I mean, seriously. Exactly. Or they, they're like, oh, yes, um, buy my soap and we'll give one soap back to a woman. Or buy my shoe, we'll give one shoe back to some African person. I'm like, this women are not looking for soaps or shoes or, or you know, they, just pay me. <laughs> you know, give me. Yeah. Let me make yeah. my money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So, so we saw the value of, you know, that economic partnership, because even as a woman entrepreneur here in the States, I need access to capital, right? Yes. Just the same way they did. So the, the parallels were not lost on me in terms of mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. I felt that the business relationship needed to, to work. And so I'm saying all this to say that by, as 2009 was wrapping up, we had just come back from, a, I, I think I had gone to Mali. I had visited a number of co-ops. And then I sat in a meeting where they were arguing about technical language for a document and how we were supposed to program, you know, write the code. And I sat in these meetings of people arguing about hyphens and commas and uppercase. And I was like, this is a waste of my life. <laughs> I've just come back from <laughs> Mars. clear. <laughs> where the little bit of business I did with that community and what I observed, I feel like I can add value by having a business. Why am I sitting here listening to these people? <laughs> yeah. So you saw the visible impact of your activities as a business. That's fantastic. Yeah. So is that why you call yourself a global social entrepreneur? That's why I did. <laughs> <laughs> so what does a global social entrepreneur do? How do you describe your work? I describe my work as an enterprise that is really focused on lifting everybody. Mm-hmm. That if I do well, you have to do well. Mm. Um, it's not a zero-sum game. I don't want to be an extractor of resources and labor. I want all women to win. If we are engaged in any kind of enterprise, I would walk away rather than be the winner who takes everything mm. while you're struggling. That is not how I want to do um, business. So that that is really my 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 worldview. Um, and even with my customers, I want them to feel good about the products they are buying. Mm. I'm very careful about how we make and you know what we're putting in there, because I also know on the customer side. Women are stressed, right? Yes. We are multitasking. We're dealing with a lot. And so my intention, even with the products, is, you know, when you go into the shower, even if you're in there for three minutes, taking a bath with our body wash and then moisturizing with our whipped body butters, that you've had three minutes of a spa, right? you know, Mm -hmm. so -hmm. that when you emerge, your mind is clear and you can deal with all the other crazy stuff around you. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. My guest today is Funlayo Alabi, CEO and co-founder of Shea Radiance. Now, the beauty market has a lot of players of different sizes, and you must have a solid brand in order to stand out. In this next part of our conversation, Funlayo talks about building her brand, 
The road to success, of course, hasn't always been smooth, and she's very candid and open about some of the teachable moments along the way. We also discuss mindset, the importance of having a support structure, and playing to your strengths. So what words would you dis- would you use to describe uh, the Shea Radiance brand? A brand that seeks to influence the way women care for themselves and so that they can care for others, so that they can have an impact on their community. Because I believe that when a woman feels good, uh, she can change the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 In your opinion, what makes a good brand then? What makes a good brand is, first of all, to actively seek to deliver on your promise, mm-hmm. right? Whether that be good or bad. <laughs> my goal is to make all people miserable. You better be consistent that when they check your record, you can consistently make people miserable. <laughs> You're on brand. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so seek to fulfill the mission of your brand. Sometimes it's an ongoing process because sometimes we have aspirational goals yeah. that we're working towards. Um, so I would say, you know, a, a, a good brand is one that is working towards the aspiration and a good brand is one that has the benefit mm-hmm. of the customer at, at its center. Because if you can make your customer happy, you're eventually going to be successful one way or another. Right. If that's your goal. Right. Customer success. That's what I wanted to speak to you about, because you also started out at farmers uh, markets and then you were in retail. So, you know, and it's one of the toughest things, right? That proof of concept. So what did that look like for you? Yeah. So what the farmer's market really did for us, it proved um, a hypothesis that I had and probably many other women, and I would say especially black women had, about the importance of things being natural and simple. Mm -hmm. Because the early adopters of products that are shea butter based are black women mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i always believe that a good product um should have a, like global appeal you should be able to attract a diverse audience to something that is good mm-hmm. and so what the farmers market did was it did show that there was a diversity of customers who were interested in clean natural products mm-hmm. um it showed that the tide was turning in the culture where people were not just blindly buying greenwashed items from their stores. And they were asking questions. They were interrogating the ingredient panel. Uh, The the other thing was that um, as a proof of concept, being in the farmer's market also gave me an idea of some of the barriers that some new customers were having when it came to dealing with just the raw shea butter. And that led us to create other products that, you know, were entry level mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. products into um, into um, the raw shea butter. Mm. So it was the, the 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 farmers market really gave us the opportunity to get feedback from the customers, right? In terms of what they liked, yeah. And uh, moving into uh, the retail space, how did that happen? Who did you have to speak to? Which doors did you have to push open for yourself? Um, I think in the beginning, um, you know, I always had my eye on Whole Foods because for me, Whole Foods was the gold standard of where a natural brand like mine 
could live. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I would go into the the whole food stores and I, I would go into the whole body section and I would talk to the buyers and I would have like samples in my purse. <laughs> <laughs> ah, guerrilla marketing. <laughs> yes. And I would be like, you know, you should try this. And, yeah, you know, they would try it yeah. and they're like, okay, you know, we have a program where local brands, you know, we, we have some, a program and a, the freedom to bring in local brands and just kind of put you here and see how you do. And I was like, sign well, me up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I would say like relationships and just kind of going there and also being able to show that there's a gap in the product offerings that they have for mm-hmm. a good quality X, Y, Z that mm-hmm. you're offering, mm-hmm. you know, being able to kind of differentiate your product and showing them how, you know, you could attract more customers into the store to make them money. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was the case I, I had to make. Yeah. And I'm sure it hasn't been smooth sailing uh, being a business owner. So do you have any scary moments that uh, you would like to share? There are so many. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, which one taught you the biggest lesson? Let's put it that way. Wow. So three years into building the Shea Radiance brand and, you know, having some success, um, being in the retail environment, especially consumer goods is very expensive. Mm-hmm. And we came into this industry, not having a lot of background, not really having access to the right kind of mentoring. And we certainly were not properly capitalized to take advantage right. of some of the opportunities that we qualified to be in. And so I I did a lot of trade shows. I did a lot of events. And in the course of doing these events, we were approached by a big box store that they liked what we were doing. We had just launched seven new hair care products for women with curly hair. And the big Mm. box store approached us. um, They felt that we would be a good fit. At this point, they were beginning to acknowledge that, you know, black women needed our own products that we couldn't just be throwing Dove or Suave in our hair and expecting good results that, you know, (laughs) we (laughs) we had particular needs (laughs) for our hair. So this store was really looking for brands to bring in. And we just thought that, wow, you know, this is such a great opportunity. My husband and I are like, yes, thank you, Jesus. You know, (laughs) finally have a big buyer, you know, we'll get big purchase orders and, you know, we'll be able to really scale and grow our business. Mm, and, mm. and so, you know, they put in the first purchase order and we're like, okay, this is great. You know, we worked months to fulfill the order. In the meantime, because we're still rather small, all our other business, we just kind of put it on hold. I'm like, y'all wait, you know, this, this, this is really important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, And <laughs> we filled the first purchase order, shipped it out and waited. And you know, you know, when we launched into the store, we spent a lot of money doing campaigns, promoting. Um, but there was a lot of things we didn't know about how expensive it is to launch in a ma- major retail store. We had no clue. And so um, within the first couple of months, I would go out to the stores. Our products were not properly stocked. And then in another six months, we were required to do promotions. And when you do promotions, um, you know, every time you get like $2 off a product or 25% off, guess where that money is coming from? 
Yeah. It's not the store. It's not the store. <laughs> yeah. It's the manufacturer. It's the manufacturer. Yeah. Yeah. So these, among other things, oh. um, created a domino effect in our business um, that resulted us with us failing woefully in that retail channel, mm-hmm. having to move product out. So if your product doesn't do well, yeah, you also have to buy it back. No, that's terrible. <laughs> yes. So needless to say, those were very dark days, oh. right? Literally, we, we were at the verge of bankruptcy mm. because this opportunity that looked so amazing was not the right opportunity for us at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if anyone had told me, Fonlayo, this is not the right op- opportunity for you right now. I wouldn't have believed them because my thinking was very linear mm. and I didn't realize that there was so much more we had to learn that most people launching into um, retailers like this usually come with investors or, you know, just. Oh, you are still pocket. self-funded. Right. Yes. Deep enough pockets to kind of weather the first 18 to 24 months, because that's typically how long it'll take for your, your marketing, your promotion um, um, strategies to, to start working and kind of create, you know, the lift that you need. Right. Um, So we didn't know that. And literally it broke us. Mm. And, you know, by the end of 2014, we, 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 we had to restart our business over again because we decided that we were not going to quit or shut the business yes, down. Yes. Uh-huh. We felt that, you know, we still had a core group of customers who loved what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And then we had gone and promised all these women that don't worry, we'll be buying your share butter. Trust us. You know, <laughs> we're not like all those people who came to you and said they wouldn't buy. So I, I, I had those women's voices in my head, like, mm-hmm, look at them. They've gone back to America. They've forgotten us. Right. So, <laughs> Right. Like, oh, man. We have yeah. to make this thing work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing you had that obligation. Because uh, it's easy to give up when something goes wrong in, in, mm-hmm. such, a, in such a big way. <laughs> in such a huge way. Yeah. I mean, look, I can tell you stories of what our lives were like after that. And I know that everybody lives for the glamour and beauty of Instagram and Facebook and everything. But I think... As entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs of color, um, undercapitalized businesses, there's not much glamour there. <laughs> no, I'm it's quite a sure. Lot of work. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. So, how do you recover from uh, such a place? Um, well, first of all, we decided that we were not going to quit. Mm-hmm. So, I think once you decide, you kind of shut the back door. Yep. And it becomes a question of how are we going to recover and how are we going to make this work. Mm-hmm. And are we willing to do the hard work of building again organically? Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. We had to be comfortable with the fact that everybody knew we launched into this big store and we had this huge party and we did this and everybody was like, how great for them and how wonderful they must be and everything. And be able to just say, okay, honey, I'm going to pack samples in the back of this ugly looking Buick and I'm going to start going from store to store to store to try and recover some of the accounts that we lost. Right. Um, and I had to be kind of okay with that. And um, 
Yeah, that 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 was the decision. That yeah. was the decision. So be, just commit, basically. Basically, commit and um, humble yourself and learn what you need to know. Know that for a lot of us that become entrepreneurs, we. I, okay, me personally didn't necessarily come from an entrepreneurial family. Most of my my father was an accountant, my mom a secretary, mm-hmm. government workers in Nigeria, and so there's a lot that I don't know about doing business right in America about accessing what I need, and even there's some cultural things about even asking for help that were very hard for me. Right, and so when you decide that you're going to do something, then you start figuring out ways to get the help you need, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And learning how to ask for help and being okay messing up because you know that this is the way that you are going to unlock generational wealth for your yeah. family yeah. and be an example to other people who need to bring their businesses out from the dark and thrive. So, so that, that's really been my, my entrepreneurial mantra. Like when I feel like things are going south, I'm failing. I'm like, okay, Funlayo, you can't quit. So you need help. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How are you going to find this help? Go look for it. And ultimately that help helps me get to the next level. Yeah. So what does your support structure look like right now? My support structure looks like... I have advisors. Mm-hmm. I don't have an advisory board, yep. but I have people that I can talk to. My support structure also means that I show up at different group events in my industry and listen. And if the opportunity is there for me to to share mm-hmm. about you know my learnings, uh, and I do that. And in the process, I find support from within. <laughs> You know, I'm giving mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then I find support that people there, some people there who are 10 steps ahead of me who see themselves in me. And they're not necessarily people of color. You know, they could be white men or Asian women who look and see and, and remember what it's like to be in my stage. And they come and advise and open doors. Yeah, And I'm also in a position where there are people who are maybe two steps behind <laughs> where I am mm-hmm. that I also get an opportunity to be that person for. Mm-hmm. You know, this brings me to the whole idea of mindset, because to do business, you've got to have the right mindset. How do you work with productivity, etc.? <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, you know, it's a good question. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're right. It, it really is a mindset thing. Um, and, you know, I've already shared one of the things is that, you know, I have decided that this enterprise that we're building is going to create generational wealth mm-hmm. for our family, for our employees and our stakeholders. And so having made that decision, I am committed to growing and changing to be that leader that can make that happen. That's my mindset. And then when I think about my mission, my mission is is a noble and worthy mission. Mm. And so even when I talk to people or when I'm trying to bring people to be part of our team, 
I lead with that mission about the impact we want to have in the world and that they get to be a part of doing that. And then, um, and I, I know that, you know, sometimes, you know, people are like, you know, if, you know, there's a time where you have to kind of assess your losses and, you know, know that, you know, it's time to quit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's always that, but I'm really a firm believer that there's some people who have become multimillionaires selling pet rocks. People have become <laughs> billionaires selling the dumbest crap you can ever imagine. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of rubbish out there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, you know, you can shut this one and start another. And I think that is great if you have the luxury to do that. Or you can figure out what the levers are that lead to success, regardless of what you're selling. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, um, so in terms of my mindset, that's why I'm really um, committed to what I'm doing right now. Um, I also know that five years from now, I want to be more vested in mentoring and investing in women. And so everything I'm doing right now is really to put me in a position to transition from being a CEO and engaged in operations to really be able to um, serve as, as, a, as a mentor mm. and an advisor mm -hmm. to, mm. to um, other businesses. Yeah. Speaking of your role in the company, what are your strengths as a leader? Uh, I'm a visionary. Mm -hmm. I'm creative. Um, when I get a chance to be out in the market or in the stores or doing an event, I get a lot of really great ideas of how I can create new products that women will love. Now, it's not always a good thing because after you create, create, <laughs> you know, you have to sell them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, so I, I think those are my strong um, suites as, as a leader. And I'm, I'm also, um, I also naturally have a lot of empathy, which is good and is also bad. Mm. I feel, <laughs> yeah. you know, I tend to feel people's pain mm. and I, I want to um, create solutions so that to alleviate the pain, but it's not always the best thing, but that's typically how I'm wired. Mm. Yeah. Right. And which parts of the job do you like the least? What would you rather not do? <laughs> I hate repetitive tasks. Mm. You know, I hate, um, I, I, I need to have people around me to help me after I've done the big thing, the big launch, bring in the big account, launch, you know, create the big product. I need people around me who can say, okay, Let's create processes, <laughs> procedures <laughs> to make sure it can be sustained. Because left to Funlayo, you know, she's just gonna. <laughs> There'll be pretty balloons and. and <laughs> <laughs> so right, right. No, I see, I see. This is Shades and Layers, and my guest Funlayo Alabi from Shea Radiance calls herself a global social entrepreneur. Now, what does that mean and what does a person of this title do? Find out up next and also get to know the moments that have shaped 
Punlayo into the leader she is or is becoming? And also, what are her dreams for the future? I mean, I admire that you are on a mission. I really, really like that about your brand. And uh, I know you've got some social projects going um, with your suppliers. So what what's your latest one? And um, yeah, what does it entail? So our latest one, which should be kicking off really soon, is is still related to the Clean Stove project that we kicked off um about three or four years ago, we first of all did a pilot in in Nigeria, um, in West Africa. Well, I, I would say probably all over, not just Africa, but where you where you're in agricultural communities in you know the developing world, uh, women use a lot of fuel to cook, mm-hmm. and even in the production of shade, there's a lot of uh, fuel that is used to boil the nuts and to um, do some of the extraction, there's a lot of heat that goes into it when it's done the traditional way. And when it's done the traditional way, there's a lot of smoke um, that comes out of the whole process that is bad for the environment, but more of more concern to me. It's not that I'm not concerned about the environment. I'm actually even doubly concerned about the women yeah. Right. Um, the smoke inhalation, not just to themselves, but potentially to the babies tied on their backs. Mm-hmm. And so we yeah. did the clean stove project to um, research alternatives to the to the wood burning stoves that they were using, trying to find alternatives that maybe use less fuel, produce less smoke, was more efficient in cooking so that the women can do more with less, save time and save money. And so we did about 50 stoves and those stoves were assembled uh, by uh, a a contractor that did EnviroFit stoves and it was fine. But over the years, the women have not been able to maintain those stoves. They need to get someone to fix it when it's being used. And you know how that goes. If you can't maintain it, it, it's... It becomes rubbish. Goats and chickens will end up sitting inside those stools. Exactly. <laughs> so, so we are working with a, 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 a co-op in the Republic of Benin, which is right next right. to Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we are going to be um, working with a thousand women um supporting an, a clean stove initiative. And these stoves are locally made clay stoves. So they have the ability to retain heat. Mm-hmm. They use less fuel. And then um, the women will also be able to earn carbon credits in about right. five years for these stoves. So we are still working out more of the details, but this project is bringing us closer to what feels like a good fit mm-hmm. in terms of us having an impact on women's health um, their finances, and ultimately the environment. Um, I know um, I talk about the environment. Like I said, I do care about the environment. But as an African woman, um, people are number one. For and sure. The if rest, we don't take it, the rest follows. Yes. Yeah. If you can't take care of people, if people are not healthy, if they are not fed, they are going to cut down trees, burn them, and do what they need to do mm-hmm. to survive. Exactly. So my priority is always people. Mm. 
Everyone else can go do whatever they need to do to curb carbon emissions. But yeah. I just feel like no, I agree. I, yeah, if you don't put, if you don't treat people right, they do not have the incentive to do the right thing, and that's exactly. just the bottom line. Yeah. And speaking of which, I mean, this is uh, one thing that I really, really am uh, passionate about, you know, finding that balance between whatever is considered sustainable, whatever is considered fair trade, you know, so for a brand like yours, how do you find that balance between, you know, doing the right thing, going to the source, being fair, paying fair wages, still paying for the costs of manufacturing and getting your product out there to a developed economy um, client base? Yeah, it's it's it, it it can be tricky, right? Mm-hmm. And what I found over the years was that is that there are African entrepreneurs, women, who have developed great supply chains where they are doing a lot of the right things that mm-hmm. can be validated in a way that makes sense. And so what am I saying is that I don't always jump on the Western bandwagon of certifications, Yep. right? Organic this, Fairtrade certified this and that, because when we started um, doing the direct source and working with communities in, in Northern Nigeria, and we found out what the cost of getting organic certification was, and the fact that we would be responsible for flying flying certifiers in from France or Europe or something. And then they would come and you go through all these processes. And I'm like, first of all, I don't have investors to pay to cover the cost of all these things. So already that is a barrier Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. me to do my business. And I'm like, I'm an African woman relating to other African women. Why do I have to deal with another it felt like an artificial barrier to me that the only people who would have access would be people who had money. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, I know that if you negotiate with women, if you have people on the ground who can do the intelligence to know what the fair market price is, Mm -hmm. you know, what Mm -hmm. the fair market price is. And if you can price higher, even if it's five cents higher or 10 cents higher, and if you can be a consistent buyer, that makes more sense. You can make that a win-win. Sometimes people who um, have different fair trade models, they make the commodity so expensive, right? And mm. they buy very little, yes. right? Yes. So maybe a ton of shea butter should be a hundred, no, sorry, let's say it should be a thousand dollars and it's not, right? And they're like, we are going to start buying a ton of shea butter for $10,000, and they only buy one, and that's yeah, the only that's one they it. buy. Mm. You know, so, you know, as people who had the privilege of growing up in other parts of the world and knowing what the most important thing is when you are on the ground, I always feel like we need to make our own way. That yeah. sometimes, you know, the, the, the standards and the, the, the certification boards and all the processes that they put you through, I always think, like, is this necessary? I'll even give you an example, even applying for minority certification. Yes. Do I not look like a minority? (laughs) But the whole certification is so bothersome that you're wondering, like, why do I have to go through all this? 
when I'm obviously a minority, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, so I try to kind of apply, you know, a little bit of my common sense. I'm like, okay, pe- back 10 years ago, people were asking for, you know, we need to know if it's fair trade and everything. I'm like, this is not certified fair trade, but this is how I do business. Yeah. And this is the impact we can have. And the fact is that when I go back to buy more, it's an exciting event yeah. <laughs> because yeah. money is coming into the community. And if that story is not enough to jazz you up and you still need that logo, then, you know, keep it moving. Yeah. You know, you're not my customer. So before we wrap things up, I have to ask you a few personal questions. <laughs> the first one being, uh, do you have any childhood memories, two or three, that uh, you'd like to share? Childhood memories... Um, with my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother was an educator. She was the headmistress of a girls' school in Lagos. Um, a very disciplined woman. Um, you know, uh, the Queen of England passed away recently. And mm-hmm. when I look at the way <laughs> the Queen would hold her handbag and her hat, that was kind of like my grandmother. <laughs> you know, she had that same vibe. <laughs> Yes. Um, With her handbag and her hat um, going to church. And she was the one who actually would chase me down with um, homemade shea butter with camphor and rub it on my chest (laughs) when I would have a cold. (laughs) Uh, That's one of my memories of her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, who do you admire the most in the world right now? Gosh, everyone is so flawed right now. That's fair, yes. (laughs) You know, but I I will say that I'm still an admirer of the Obamas Mm. and Michelle Obama in particular. Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity right before the pandemic to see her at one of Oprah's events Mm. um, in Mm. New York. And I went to see it, not because I thought she would tell me anything I didn't know, but I just wanted to see how she moved in the world, right? Yeah. And how she interacted with people. And I observed her to be a kind and humble woman and highly intelligent. Yeah. Right? You know, so sometimes I like to get around people like that just to see how they are, you know? Yeah. yeah. How they treat people and how they the, the vibe they exude. And yeah, I I really admire her. I'm sure she's not perfect, but no, yeah, um, I mean, no one is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, but but there's just something about her that that you know sh- that I admire. I I do look up to her. Yeah, and what are your dreams for Shea Radiance in the future? You know, um, would love to um, get Shea Radiance to a place where. Um, uh, a potential um, collaboration, a good, well-fitting acquisition. I don't exactly know what that would look like. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking to... I, I want a situation where I can transition into the next phase of my life, which I said will focus more on mentorship and investments mm-hmm. in, in women-run enterprises. And... Um, I would like um, Shea Radiance to be in good hands yeah. uh, when I make that transition, but I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. Yeah. So 
talk to me in five years <laughs> or maybe in two maybe, maybe next year i'll have a better idea of what it is where i'm going but i, I yes, know that yes. i don't want to devalue the brand i don't want to be in a situation where people feel like oh you know the product changed or it's no longer for us or there's something about it that has been compromised because um she's no longer there so mm-hmm. you know we'll see what that looks like yeah Okay, so I want to send you customers. I also think that uh, my listeners would have a lot to learn from your story. Where can they find you and where can they reach out to you? Thank you for asking that question. Um, you can find our website. It's shearadiance.com, S-H-E-A, radiance.com. Mm-hmm. We're on Instagram and our handle is also Radiance and Facebook at Radiance. And on our website, we have a retail locations page. Uh, We are in all the Whole Foods stores throughout the United States. If you go to your local Whole Foods stores and you can't find a product, make a scene. (laughs) Talk to the manager. (laughs) Shea Radiance is supposed to be here. I was told they're supposed to be on the shelf and they're not on the shelf. I want to talk to the manager. Yes, and we're also uh, an uh, Amazon Prime. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so much for this interview. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, and I wish you a great weekend. Well-deserved rest. (laughs) Yes, thank you, Kutuano. And I wish you the same, too. This was so much fun. (laughs) Great. And that is all from me today. Thank you for your support as always. If you liked this conversation, please share it with others. Remember that we are a weekly show now, so be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform so that you are the first in line to hear the new episodes. I'm Kutluanos Kosana Ritchie, and until next time, please do take good care.